Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. All right, well, um, we talk about really one of my favorite topics and probably yours too. Uh, it's dealing with uh, worship. It's officially titled of Religious Worship and the Sabbath day. That's chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession. And then, then chapter 22 has to deal with oaths and vows. And uh, we wouldn't spend a whole lot of time with that chapter. There will be some chapters we'll uh, just um, give a little bit of a, an idea on what it is and move through some of those. Um, spend most of our time on, on our worship um, from the Confession here tonight. And, of course, you think of um, John 17, that passage where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, and he says that uh, we worship in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit, the Word of God. And, um, of course, the Reformers, as they put this together, they realized that uh, worship is a vital part. matter of fact, chief end of man is to glorify God and I can't think of anything more that glorifies God than worshiping to glorify God is worshiping God and there are many different uh, aspects of, of that but yet um, in worship it is also tempered and kept in bounds always by the word of God oh we start off with a, with a word of prayer Lord we uh, look to you as we go through scripture tonight desiring the Holy Spirit to uh, help us understand the precious truths that you've given. And as we look at um, the subject of worship, may it uh, realize, may we realize and, and have it ever before our minds that is our whole life. Uh, whether it is in private, whether it's in public, uh, with friends, family, we always should be in worship of you. Thank you, Lord, that you put it into our hearts to worship you. We desire to worship you what is seen in Scripture, the truth. For there are many ways that people try to worship, but there is really only one who we worship, and it's all bound by truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we... Um, we take this tonight as we move on in uh, chapter 21. In the section 1, it's going to be dealing with uh, the light of nature. You'll see that. And then also God's revealed will. Remember, um, that sounds familiar as we looked at the Word of God when we first started off. And it dealt with the light of nature. But then God is then specific through His Word that he's given. So we'll see that in the section one as we uh, read along here. The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship, sovereignty over all, is good, and does good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, served with all the heart, with all the soul, and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will. 
that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men, or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation, or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So he starts off, the light of nature. Hey guys, how we doing? The light of nature. Um, just the natural man knows there's a God. They suppress the truth, but they know that. And they know that this God is the one who is sovereign. He has lordship. He is the one over all. And so because of that, people should have a desire to worship him. He's, he's to be feared and loved, isn't he? And served with, with all the heart. Um, so there, there is a matter of worship. And there are, uh, most people worship. They worship something. They have their own kind of God, whatever, or the, the Eastern religions. They all have a God or gods, multiplicity. Uh, but they have this worship aspect that's there. And, uh, of course, we know that uh, it, it, it is a given that man has that in him to want to worship something. And, of course, a lot of it just starts with self, doesn't it? But um, the true God institutes the true worship and only one kind of worship. There's only one acceptable way. And so we have a light of nature. That's just, uh, just a general revelation that God has that is put into men's hearts. But then the revealed will, again, which is the specific uh, revelation of God, His revealed will, tells us what worship is and how it is to be conducted. And it's never to be uh, with the imaginations of men coming in, in the, the, their own devices. And of course, it's suggestions of Satan that they use there. That's a pretty good phrase there in itself, isn't it? When it really comes down to, because he's the one that wanted to be worshipped. Uh, as he was the one who was leading worship of the angels, and then, of course, he fell. And uh, he wanted to be like the Most High. Um, anyway, there are people who want visible representations of this um, God who is uh, not seen. He's a spirit. And he's prescribed, though, there's only one way to worship, and it's in our truth here. Uh, it's his own appointment the way that it is to be. God is to be the sole object in worship. That's the rule of worship. It's a divine institution. And so uh, it has never left a human wisdom, wisdom uh, uh, imaginations that man has, but it, uh, or just altering the way that God has set it up and kind of changing it into uh, man's own way. In Deuteronomy 12, 32. Of course, Deuteronomy is in the law, and we get that uh, real early. What things soever I command you, saith the Lord, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereunto, nor diminish from it. There, as he gives the law, he says you don't add to it, you don't subtract from it. Of course, the whole word of God is to be that way too, right? We don't add to God's word, and we don't subtract from it. It is there. So worship is uh, definitely a divine appointment, and it's all prescribed by Him. Now, that's the first place of that, as we're looking at section one. Uh, section one also, as um, 
we think about um, the worshiping of God, uh, the imaginations, the devices of men, um, or, or people that uh, devise visible representations um, of God. Of course, you think some of the worst corruptions of the church was in the Rome church, wasn't it? We think of the um, God who is invisible. He is spiritual. He's incomprehensible. He goes way beyond anything that man can put together. But man wants to put some kind of a corporal likeness to, to, the, to God and have figures and statues and representations. And then you think of uh, in Isaiah chapter 51, 25, it says, To whom will you liken me, or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. How can anything compare to God? And yet man wants to bring him down by making something that would represent him. In Acts 17.29, there's Paul uh, in Athens, and he presents the one true God, as they had many gods, didn't they? They worshipped. Oh, did they worship? But not according to God's principles. And then Paul says this, We ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Kind of tells it all. Of course, the... Of course, they had the unknown God. Just in case they didn't have them all, they wanted to have another one that was that would cover them all, to cover all the bases. Of course, the unknown God there, as Paul presented, is the one true God. So anyway, um, there is it, it, it uh, is particularly condemns the worshiping of, of God by representation. Of course, Rome would have been a target of this as, as this was written. So as we're still on that section one, there's a, there's a third part there, and it deals with images that go beyond just those kind of images. It's any other way that's not prescribed. Any other way. Of course, you think of popery. You think of uh, Catholicism. Um, how about the wearing of particular vestments? I thought we were going to talk about fragrances. The, I know, that's what I was thinking, too. Popery. 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 Yeah, Pope. Okay. Potpourri. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> Takes me a while to catch on. The vestments that the, the priest would wear. How about the numerous festival kind of days that they would have, the holy days, altars that they put into the church, the sign of cross, of the cross, right? Uh, the kind of baptism they have. How about bowing? at the name of Jesus, that sounds pretty good. Of course, if you go to a Roman Catholic church, you'll see them bow and genuflect. Uh, of course, when they, uh, of course, uh, kneeling at the communion, those kind of uh, things that would go on, the superstitious aspects, all of this is part of their worship. You don't see prescribed whatsoever in, uh, in Scripture. There's no warrant for it, is there? You know, where did it come from? So it's inventions of men. Jesus spoke about that. He says in uh, Matthew 15, 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, the traditions, the commandments of men, things that they came up with. So that would be dealing with what section 1 uh, is bringing forth. Good way to start it out, isn't it, as they, they present that, because these things were definitely happening. Uh, light of nature, but yes, here's the revealed will here in Scripture is what's established. Anything else 
um, that is not acceptable by him uh, would be going against uh, his word. In uh, section 2, how you guys doing out there? It seems quiet in here. <laughs> the heat's not running. There's no other noise going on. Okay, we got the okay. <laughs> Number two is a, a short paragraph. Religious wor- worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and to Him alone. Not to angels, saints, or any other creature. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. Remember who he's writing to at the time. And, of course, this pertains to today. Um, He's first starting off with here, you know, religious worship is to be given to God. And he speaks of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, And so we're dealing with the object of worship, and it's definitely defined here. Um, worship is to be given to God alone. Forbids any other kind of worship of any other kind of gods. Worship Him alone. And, and that's easy for us. You know, th- this is really simple to understand. But you have to realize that how many other people out there, though, are saying that they're worshiping God like they did back here in the 1500s and yet we're so far from the truth Um, Matthew 4.10 Jesus uh, of course he was tempted by Satan and he said it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve simple easy correct right in opposition to the Roman church at that time and still yet today, it hasn't changed. The worship of angels, departed saints, those are all worshipped. Saints that are canonized ought to be worshipped. They will say venerated. They'll use a different kind of thought. Of course, God alone is worship. These other ones, what are they about, right? What, what are the angels? What are the saints about? So, worshipping of angels. And, of course, Paul forbid that. In Colossians 2.18, he was speaking about worshiping of angels, and uh, there were some that were doing that back at that time. Um, How about Virgin Mary? Virgin Mary is venerated. She is worshipped. She is adored. The saints pray to her. They make vows to her. They swear by them. Uh, Of course, then they they consecrate... um, altars, they have temples, they offer incense. Right. Carmela put her life runners group on notice about praying to Mary. <laughs> they told me I was supposed to be more tolerant. Tolerant. <laughs> yeah, God's word is not too tolerant, is it? There was a, a debate that uh, Dr. James White did with a Roman Catholic, and he said to the, he had found a prayer in a Catholic prayer book, and the prayer read, um, it was a prayer to Mary, 
And at the end it says, Mary, uh, as my mediatrix, please keep me safe from Jesus, my judge. Hmm. From? Yeah, Jesus. from. Because, wow. yeah. And Dr. White, in the debate, reads it to the Catholic. Because when he found it, he thought, this is crazy. This is um, some loony Roman Catholic that wrote this. But I'm still going to read it to him. And he read it to the guy. And he thought the guy was going to say, no, I don't. we don't believe that. And the guy said, I hope that one day you join me in prayer, praying this. <laughs> Because that is their belief. Yeah, I, yeah. I've I've got um, believe it or not, I've got a prayer book in in my library just to be able to defend that. I've read it to some before of Catholics thinking the same thing that they'll say, oh, "No, they agree." I think they recite that prayer when they do the rosary too. Probably at the very end. The different churches did it different ways. Yeah, true. The last one I was at before I left. Yeah, it makes you did wonder that if, if uh, the Pope and the bishops and the cardinals and the priests, have they even read the Bible? I mean, even like in the book of Revelation, John was bowing down to the angel and the angel stopped him and said, mm -hmm. No, no, you don't do that. Right. But that's when yeah. they go outside of Scripture. The authority is not the Word of God like it is to us. It, it is their traditions yeah. in that church always outranks and, and, and then in the book of Exodus, the very first commandment, not to make these graven images. And it, it starts well, listing all the things. What they do with that one. That's their second got, commandment. No, I've got, I've got a Catholic catechism where they teach, and Annie got herself in trouble in fourth grade because she says, that's not the Ten Commandments. So she took my Bible, and they were reading the Ten Commandments, and then she goes, no, that's not, that's not Catholic Bible. So she took my Catholic Bible the next day. So it's the same thing here. It said in my Bible yesterday, they, she was kicked out of class after that. She yeah, their Ten Commandments is different. Yeah, they changed them. Yeah. They, they drop... They dropped they us, shall have no graven images. That's not in their yeah, commandments at all. Mm -hmm. And they broke, uh, thou shalt not cut, cut it into, into the 90 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, go, next time you drive by St. Joe read Cathedral, they have the tablets out there. You should read them. When Bart Larson told, first told me when I first became a Christian that they weren't the same, I didn't believe him. And I went and I drove out there. I had my Bible and I was looking at it. <laughs> right. I think well, that's, I was seven years old because I took my money and got me a Ten Commandment bracelet. My mom threw that thing away because it was wrong. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, what's the difference? That's not a Catholic thing. That's uh, what does it come down to? The Word of God. And if you don't start with that, and that's not your authority, then you can make that Bible say whatever you want to do. You can change it. You can... Um, Cut and paste. Good way to put it. Um, another thing that they do in their worship are is the worship of relics. I think most of you are probably familiar with that. Of course, the bones of particular saints that they've uh, had in the past. I think down in, at Taos, at St. Francis Xavier, uh, right there as you enter in there, they had a place where the, where the bones of Father Elias 
um, and many other places where they have uh, bones, where they venerate, they actually worship them. They've even kept some freaky things where they've kept they've uh, kept bodies uh, and somehow been there was able a to. Casket down there for mm -hmm. years. It was encased in glass, and, that, and it was a big casket, and that's where his first that's where he was first buried in that casket in there, and there was some relics that were left in there. So that's how Hawaii's high school got its name. Well, you, you know, when you deal with that kind of superstition, that's all it is. You, you can see how far Roman Catholicism is away from God's truth and Protestantism. People try to make it come so close. And so many Protestants today have no idea about this. And uh, like the worship of the uh, relics. If you take, like for instance, Moses, what would have happened? There was a mysterious thing that happened when he died, right? You remember in, in Deuteronomy, and uh, of course they, they took you know, care that his body would be buried in such a manner no man knew of his sepulcher. Because if they would have known, you know what they would have done? I mean, this is one of the greatest men ever in the, the history of uh, Judaism or, or mankind. And you can imagine what they would do with that. And so God did that for a reason. Uh, how about the Israelites? They actually worshipped the right God, the one true God, Jehovah, Yahweh, in the wrong way, though. They had the calf. And, of course, the Israelites professed uh, to worship Yahweh by the golden calf, representing him. You know, they, they weren't calling him another god. That was supposed to be the god, Yahweh. But yet, that is uh, that's you know totally uh, outside God's bounds, and we, we see the result of what happened. With that just popped out of the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I love that. Yeah. Well, they also hold that same superstition about you know if you're not buried in a Catholic cemetery, they have to consecrate the ground first before you're placed in the grave. Just like water is holy. Consecrate that. Yeah. And, and you have to get special permission if you want to be cremated. Hmm. Um, Alan, I think you had a hand up there. Well, I was going to say that I've been studying the book of Exodus, and uh, one of the things that I read from Matthew Henry was that he's pointing out how God in the in Genesis um, he tells you how he created the world in a few verses. But then you move on to Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and for the rest of the Bible for that matter. And God is like so specific about how we are to worship Him. So, like, He just tells you, I created the world. And then, this is how you're going to worship me. Chapter, chapter, chapter. chapter. <laughs> got a lot there, yeah. only. <laughs> no, no mistakes there. That's right. And you were talking earlier about um, mediator. Um, in their catechisms, they will say, and, and here's here's First Timothy, um, chapter two, verse five. Right, that's where you get this one mediator. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the question was asked by Carmela, "Don't they read their Bibles?" <laughs> well, they do. Sometimes, certain scriptures. <laughs> and they know about this scripture, so it's like, what do you do there? Isn't it specific? Isn't it clear as 
as it could possibly be. It's evident. There's only one God. There's only one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Here's what the Catholics do with that. And all other mediators are Mary, the angels, the saints. I kid you not. Look it up in the catechism. Now, going way back, it was a standard for a long time, the Baltimore Catechism. You'd find that in there. That was around for a long time. They had the new catechism. I'm not so sure how it words it, but I think it's probably very similar to that. Um, there is one God. There's, there's one intercessor, one mediator, right? And, of course, uh, the Roman view of that is, and all others are. It's incredible how they get away with that. God is omnipresent. He's omniscient, of course. Well, if you have the Virgin Mary who is to be prayed to, and she's called a co-mediatrix. As a matter of fact, you better be seeking her because Jesus is much more of a judge and he's harsher. So therefore, that's why we have um, Virgin Mary because she is like a mother. And which, who would you rather go to for protection in case your dad comes along with the belt? You want to go to your mom, right? Yeah. And, you know. Well, that's the, the, the way that they explain that. But um, this would make her omnipresent, make her omniscient. If you have millions of people all across the world praying at the same time and all day long, she would have to be God to hear those prayers and answer them. What does this make her? And with what you read there about her being the mediator, it makes her God. Matter of fact, you'll see the pictures where you have Mary holding little baby Jesus. Remember the statues? You've seen those? They're all around, all over the place. What does that mean? She's over him. She is the God. Right, going back to Genesis, right? I never thought I would see the day when the thought of that would turn my stomach, but it does. Sickening, isn't it? It is. It's an affront to God's holy word. And yet there are so many Protestants saying they believe the same thing we do. They use so many terms that that we're familiar with, but they don't usually mean what we mean. And of course, they'll say Trinity, and they'll say Savior. Uh, they will believe in Satan. They'll believe in heaven and hell. You take all the major doctrines, just the words, and it sounds like, well, they believe what we believe, right? Of course, then when you really get down into what they really believe, it's not even close. That's why I have to call it a cult. It is outside of Christianity. Even though it started with the, the right roots, started with the word, but once the authority is gone, then anything goes. And that's why they do these things. Yeah, Barb. I was just going to comment. Um, when we were taking that um, class over at Concord, Carmela and Leanne and I on the Christology Statement, Ligonier's Christology Statement. I was reading that, and on the surface, I, you know, when we read it the first day, it's like, I don't see a whole lot in here the Catholic faith will disagree with. Right. And um, Jake had mentioned that they wouldn't agree with it. And then as we dug into it and went into the affirmations and denials and all that stuff with it, I could see, oh, yeah, they're going to have a lot of problems with this. 
And that's what it is. Once you get down into the depth of what it is, then you see huge differences. That's why these, gay, these guys took so much time to put this down. Not only is it applicable to the Roman church, but it can be applicable to anybody that uh, has, is questionable about certain doctrines. At least we have something we can refer to here, or we can go right to Scripture. It's all, this is all based on Scripture. There's nothing that's just coming from a tradition. But um, Yeah, if you get to the depth of almost anything, you know, of, of who God really is. What well, sounds like they have Mary as God. She's sinless to them. I mean, who alone, who only can be sinless? Even Mary said in the Magnificat uh, mm-hmm. something about yeah. her Savior. Savior. Can't mm-hmm. yeah, I can't right. That means she needed, she, a she needed a Savior. To save what? Save her from her sins. Yeah. Um, section 3. Prayer with thanksgiving, being one special part of religious worship, is by God required of all men, and that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, and by the help of His Spirit, according to His will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and a vocal and a known tongue. It says a lot there, too. Our confession has given us a description of what religious worship really is. It's kind of given us the manner of it. Now it brings on prayer. Prayer is essential in worship, isn't it? That's where we're communing with God. And um, it's extensive here. You, you, you think of the adoration that is involved. You think of the perfections uh, of God, um, c- confession of our sins, thanksgiving, always giving thanks to God and all the favors He's given us, uh, petitions. What a blessing it is that God would uh, grant us this prayer. It's a duty that's for all men. Of course, really, He hears the prayers and He's bound by no prayers but the ones that are His and are prayed in Jesus' name. You know, we we owe this kind of homage to God for what He's done. You know, we live, we move, we have our every ever being uh, through Christ. So men are to talk to God and worship Him, but if they're not His, they can't do it, can they? They can't do it in the biblical way. So if you don't say, in Jesus' name we ask these things, or in Jesus' name we pray, it's not accepted? The Well, the idea, and it's not something we just tack on at the end and, and say real quick, you know, but it and does it have to be done as some kind of a, um, this is by rote and we have to have it like this, like this no do we always have to say in Jesus name but that is a good thing to do saying we're asking this according to the will of the son according to we're asking what is consistent with what your son would ask in his authority we're not asking in our name so that's that's why that is there does it always have to, to close that way? Well, there have been times where I haven't necessarily always closed that way, but it's ever before us. Most of the time we're going to say that. You know? Well, I had noticed at my church several times I've heard it not said, and that's what made me wonder. Yeah, it wouldn't be that it's a sin. You know? I think it's important to remember that when Christ died on the cross, remember the veil was torn, it symbolized it's through him that we're even 
able to pray to God. It's through Him right. for what He did for us. Otherwise, we would have no no way to even talk to God. How can we ever get there? Yeah. Can't. Yeah. Impossible. So, um, it's um, definitely um, all dealing with the revealed will of God. The, the name, stopping the name of the law is dealing with the authority, right? In the name of Jesus, that's the authority of what all this is. So the name of Christ is uh, vastly important. Of course, you think of John 14, whenever uh, he was given his instructions the night before his crucifixion, uh, he mentions that they are to uh, be prayed in his name and by the authority of him that something that he would pray uh, be granted to you and it says in this paragraph about the Holy Spirit the help of his spirit we're totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit otherwise our prayers are they're never adequate they're never good enough uh, in themselves uh, to be acceptable we're, we have to have the assistance of the Holy Spirit uh, that kind of uh, right kind of banner and uh, um, frequently mentioned in scripture as acceptable prayer um, look at Ephesians 6.18 where you have uh, the armor chapter in Ephesians With all prayer and petition, pray. Three words there, prayer, petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And he says, and pray on my behalf. So there's your petitions and praying for others. and um, It's always in, in the Holy Spirit, being led by Him. That just tells you what a great God we have. He not only gives us right to come to in his presence through Christ but the Holy Spirit is perfecting our prayers I, you know it just uh, just makes you love him even more when you think about it that's right yeah. he takes our inadequacies the Holy Spirit perfects those prayers those petitions and brings them up and they're perfect that verse in, in Hebrews I don't remember which one it is about going boldly before the throne of grace I really, you know, that kind of goes along with what you're saying. We can do that. The veil has been ripped. We have yeah. the access. Boldly yeah. go there. That is what worship is about. And the Holy Spirit there is giving us the power. And of course, Christ is interceding, right? By the way, next week, I, I think the uh, guys, Allen's, has a song called, well, it used to be called The Mediator. What's the new name now? The Man Jesus Christ. The Man Jesus Christ. Still dealing with the Timothy passage. So, you know, it seems like we always are talking about the mediator. We need a song dealing with the mediatorship. So whoever's going to be here next week, you're going to be blessed because the band's going to be playing that. Uh, these two guys right there got together with him, and they perfected that song. So be ready. Be ready. Looking forward to that.
No, well, next next Sunday is. Oh, you said Sunday. Oh, so next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, you're the next oh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Well, you have to sure, they were gonna not, not be here next. <laughs> 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 we can do it again there too. Yeah. We pray with understanding. We pray with reverence, with humility, with fervency, with faith, with love, with importunity. I, I like the one dealing with the. Uh, Praying with the known tongue, and if vocal, if you're praying a prayer out loud, it must be done with understanding. I can't emphasize that enough. In right in the Roman Church, it's one reason that was written there. Of course, the Roman Church actually believes in speaking in tongues too. There's a, but they did they did all their worship in what language? Latin. How many people of the common people knew Latin? Nobody. Well, and they faced away from the congregation, too. That's right. So they didn't have understanding. That didn't happen until the, the 60s, I believe, is whenever that finally came about. Vatican Carolyn even remembers. That, is that Vatican II? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And well, that was in the 70s. Vatican II was like... No, the 60s, I think. I think Something they were supposed to do. It was 62. I mean, was it 62? Mm -hmm. I bet it was. Well, it was to or did they have the option of remaining with the Latin? Or, uh, well, know. most churches, you're, it was you were supposed to switch over, but like right here in Jeff City, if you go to St. Joe or Immaculate Conception, they're very post-Vatican II, and if you go to St. Peter's, there's still a lot of vestiges of the pre-Vatican II stuff that they do. They don't do the Latin or facing away from the congregation, but before Vatican II, lay people couldn't serve in any capacity in the church either, and they except altar boys, and they were only boys. Um, and, you know, I don't know of a Catholic church that doesn't. Pardon the Google, Vatican II was 1950. That might be when they actually had the council. I'm thinking it didn't come to the United States till I was a teenager, which would have been the 70s. It fell in January of 1915. Pope John III. That's kind of amazing, though, isn't it? For how many centuries did it go? We're talking... I'm not so sure when... That probably started in Latin because it, you think the Rome, what did they speak in, right? But as it went and developed uh, in different places, then they only spoke that language in church. And um, so, so was it? It wasn't implemented until October of '62, and it took October of '62 till 1965 to implement everything that was. What? Why I know that is because what they did at St. Peter's, that's where I went to church at, and they kept it on Sundays, they kept it the old way, but then they had a bottom church part that they would go on Saturday nights, you could go there and you could hear it done in English. Mm -hmm. 
how despicable that was to a lot of people, especially well, the older people. The, the height mask was kept that until, like, say, 65 to 63. Yeah, I was just wondering, travel. so are, are these, like, beliefs, you know, that are aberrations, are, are they, like, in a, in a text, or are they just, like, passed down through... In the Rome Church? Yeah. The, of course, they have their traditions, mm-hmm. and when you think of the traditions, you try to get them on that. Yeah. There are things. There are some things written down. Okay. There are other things that are not written down. Right. And those kind of traditions are hard to really pin. Okay. You know, because they don't have any. Well, yeah. Where does it come from? Yeah. Well, just something they just passed down. But there are other writings and such, and of course, whatever the Pope says, if he, you know, if he changes something, he can yeah. do that. Wow. Uh, Ex cathedra, you know, mm-hmm. out of the chair. Yeah. That's like the doctrine of limbo for, for babies that die. It's not that's not really a written down doctrine that they yeah. have. Or un, un, unbaptized babies that die go to limbo, which is a state of happiness, but not the joy they well, there's a mystical aspect in yeah. a lot, and that's why they don't want to put the Bible as a sole authority. Will they say the Bible is an authority? Yeah. An authority, not but, the authority. Right. It is not the authority. Of course, the church, the magisterium, the pope, it's authority. Yeah, and what you read here is not necessarily what it really, really means. You don't want somebody reading it that is not educated in through the uh, Roman Catholic way of really reading the Bible. That's why they dissuade you from that. So, what what we're saying here... Oh, I, we're dealing with the known tongue, right? That's yeah. how we got into that. In 1 Corinthians 14, it deals with understanding. That is what that's about. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 makes it very clear, uh, I believe, when, when we're talking about gifts and such, and that's why I believe in a, in a cessation. Uh, when when you look at chapter 13, I don't have time to deal with that, um, uh, of that particular gift. You didn't see it for really 1900 years and all of us the early very early church they knew nothing of any kind of tongues happening after the probably the first few decades and you even see it fizzing out at the and at the time of after first corinthians here and paul is warning about tongues how it was misused by the way every time it is used in scripture when it says tongues it's not saying some kind of uh, jabber meaningless jabber but but it means a known tongue that's the idea of that word in chapter 14 and that's when you're preaching the gospel you don't know a language a language that you to the people you're going to like where paul would go he would be able to speak in that tongue to be able to communicate to them the gospel that was a particular gift um when you get into first corinthians 14 uh Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I know of no gift that are meant for edifying ourselves. But one who prophesies or proclaims, preaches, edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more than you would prophesy, preach, proclaim. Greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. Unless he interprets, there we go, interpret means to get understanding, so that the church may receive edifying. 
Then verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, or of knowledge, or of prophecy, or of teaching. Yet even lifeless things, a flute, harp, producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or in the harp? Get up and get a bunch of musicians playing a bunch of notes. They don't have anything together. It, it, it is confusion. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. The one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So there was pride in what they were doing. Some of them were faking it. And, but it was, it was a matter of being able to proclaim the gospel to people. And it's the same kind of tongues that was used in Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. It means understanding. And that that chapter 14, the whole idea is is that. Don't have time to read it all. But you'll notice they, they say in a known tongue. Worship is about understanding. Praying is about understanding. Say, well, I have my own little private prayer language. Where did you get that? Um... What, what, is it, what does it mean when you do that and you don't know what the words are? It takes you into some kind of ecstasy, right? Romans 8 talks about um, that uh, where the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and it deals with groanings there. Um, Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. See, there's the Holy Spirit who helps us. For the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. People will use that verse as a private prayer language that they have with God. What verse is that? That's in Romans 8, 26. And there it says... All you can do, their groanings, there's, there's not even any words. It's too deep for words. I mean, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. So there again, that is not a verse to be using for some kind of a private prayer language that gets you closer to God. That is looking for some kind of worship that is not ordained by God whatsoever. And people say, well, get, it gets me closer to God. The truth, understanding the Word of God, and the Spirit doing that. And so, therefore, somebody is not more better off in their worship with God because they have some kind of private language with God and not even knowing what it means. It's all about understanding, understanding with the mind. Do not be led astray. And that, that's one of the reasons they say here that people worshiping and didn't even understand uh, what, it, what it was. Uh, prayer also is to be made for men living and not for the dead. And of course, you'll notice why they did that because if you're talking about praying to the saints, that's talking about to the dead, praying to the dead, praying to your your grandma. Um, you die once and comes the judgment and of course they're either with God or they are uh, putting putting in uh, into a place that uh, would... We would not want to be, we sure wouldn't want to pray to anybody who has died. 
but uh, that's the kind of theologies that came from people's thinking traditions. Section 5 um, Hey Dennis Yeah. In section 4 what are they talking about sin the sin unto death? Um, you're, you're speaking of 1 John 5.16 and that would be dealing with, uh, with the, uh, the dead um, in 1 John 5.16 it says if any man sees his brother's sin a sin which is not unto death he shall ask he shall pray he shall give him life for them that sin not, is not to death there is a sin unto death I do not say that he shall pray for it um, if somebody if there and I don't you know some people say well this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit Christian can do something so devious, so sinful that God can take them out. Matter of fact, in uh, Corinthians, we see that people were taking the Lord's Supper; they were doing it wrongly, and some were sick, and some even died. Uh, you have an Acts five, Ananias and Sapphira's. Yeah. Uh, what do you have there? Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira, right? Yeah. What did I say? Sapphira's. Yeah. Okay. Um, but. We see the holy God there, and there are people who are taken out of this world, even though they can be Christians. There's a sin unto death. And, of course, God would know more clearly what that particular sin is, but I would say it would be some desperately evil wickedness. Lying to the Holy Spirit there was taken very seriously by God. And so... um, there it is there that that would be dealing with that scripture let's say if they die you don't you know you don't you don't pray to the dead and so that that scripture can take that or if if it's something that god's going to take them out of it that prayer that you're going to pray is not going to do any good and you said that was first john first john 5 16 yeah exactly right in the law right from the very outset. Matter of fact, we see Saul conjuring up spirits there. And of course, it gets into the demonic realm. Yeah, it's called necromancy. Yeah, that's right. Talking to the dead. That's exactly what that is. Um, here we get into the heart of worship in, in number five there. Um, the reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching. So this is all what, what you do at worship, in a public worship. The reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching, and conscionable hearing of the word, in obedience unto God with understanding, faith and reverence, singing the psalms with grace in the heart, and also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments, ordinances, baptism, Lord's Supper, instituted by Christ, are all parts of the ordinary religious worship of God, beside religious oaths, vows, solemn fastings, thanksgivings upon special occasions, which are in their several times and seasons to be used in a holy and religious manner. Here you have the reading of Scripture with godly fear. You have the sound preaching, conscionable hearing of the Word. All of these things take place in a biblical um, worship of God um, the reading of scripture and you think of the reading of the word of God in Nehemiah chapter 8 where the word of God was read and then it was explained, it was expounded uh, that's expository Luke four sixteen, Jesus is in the synagogue he's reading the scripture for that particular day then he 
um, closes it, closes the scrolls, right? Starts speaking uh, about it. Uh, anyway, that's that's the reading of the scripture, the preaching, the the hearing of it. It's it's a divine ordinance. All of this is to continue right on into the time that Christ comes back. Um, think of Matthew twenty-eight twenty and um, the Great Commission, and it says to be teaching, observing these things. Christ comes back, singing the Psalms. Of course, gotta love that. You, you think of um, Ephesians five nineteen. You know, singing Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, we love that. Love it so dearly. Colossians three sixteen talks about the same thing. You can look all throughout the, uh, the Psalms. Uh, Psalm uh, thirty three three. We ought to praise God with our lips, right? And then there it says to do it skillfully, as uh, as uh, play as you sing using those instruments. Uh, but but the chief thing is to sing with understanding, and with the affections of the heart. You look out uh, through through the Psalms and many other places. Spend a whole study just on that, couldn't you? reading scriptures, the preaching, the hearing of it, the singing of psalms, we've already talked about prayer, solemn fastings and thanksgivings. There's a particular time, at, especially um, maybe a, a particular day that one might want to put forth, a, a special time for uh, fasting, for thanksgiving, something like that. Uh, of course, the Catholic Church had their so-called holy days, the holy festival days, everything is revolving around those particular days. Uh, never in Scripture do we have any warrant for that. Um, section 6, neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now under the gospel, either tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed or towards which it is directed. But God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and truth, there's your John 4, as in private families, daily and in secret, each one by himself, so more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected, right out of Hebrews there, or forsaken when God by his word or providence calls thereunto. So we worship in spirit and truth. We don't have to worship at one particular place like a temple. Uh, you can worship God anywhere. Of course, uh, they elevate worship when you have public assemblies, but it's done in private. It can be done in families and daily. It's done in secret. Uh, it can be done in any place. It's where we worship God at any time. So, um, matter of fact, it says in First uh, Timothy two eight. And to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Pray everywhere. We can worship everywhere. Really from my heart. And then section 7 is dealing with um, the Sabbath. Um, 7 and 8. Um, because of lack of time here, I'll just kind of give you a review of it really quick. Um, fourth commandment. You have in the in the Decalogue in the in the Ten Commandments. Uh, you have uh, dealing with the the Sabbath. We're to give a a seventh, I guess you could say a seventh portion, Sabbath portion of our time to the immediate worship of God with His people. Remember when He said this. Remember the Sabbath day. He doesn't just say that. What does He say? Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy, to keep it separate, to keep it uh, set apart, to keep it hallowed. Um, we know that it was um, used by the Jewish people. And of course, speaking of uh, Saturday, or what we know as Saturday, the seventh day, um, of course, you look at it in, in our time now because of what Christ did. Um, we know that the disciples met repeatedly on the first day of the week. Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week. That would be the basis of that. Uh, so they assembled together. Uh, when the first day of the week they came and they broke bread, I think you have uh, Acts 20, verse 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, whenever they were to come together, they were to bring their offerings on that first day of the week. In Revelation 1, John calls it, I was um, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, there again, speaking of that particular day that's set apart. So it's uniformly observed by uh, Christians today. Some stretch that out and try to make it a legalistic aspect on being on Saturday only, and anything else is of Antichrist, Seventh-day Adventists take it that way. And anybody that worships on Sunday has taken the mark, the mark of the beast. And uh, so... So if you go home and watch a good football game after church on Sunday, then <laughs> have you kept that day holy? Boy, you know what? You can get all sorts of views. <laughs> what, it, what it comes down to, and, and believe me, the legalism can come in, but we can also go to the extreme way. And it's not, you know, it's like, can one have any kind of activity can they do exercise can they um, can they do some sports can they watch sports <laughs> well well John Gerstner says no and R.C. Sproul says yes right <laughs> and Gerstner comes from the old school yeah um, and not that that necessarily is wrong that's why I say it is very very much throughout Reformed theology as well as throughout the rest of the body of Christ. I think what it really comes down to, first of all, the worship of Him with the body of Christ, it has started with that. We are to keep that whole day holy, but ultimately, what is the Sabbath? I go back to Hebrews 4, and it talks about entering into His rest. It's the rest of Christ. And... If we take it so much in a legal aspect, that means, okay, we shouldn't go out to eat because we're supporting it. And, and in a way, I can understand, I loved it whenever there was the blue law. You didn't really have any choices then. You couldn't even buy gasoline. <laughs> there really wasn't any place open. That was, and that was easily defined. And, you know, you could, you could it, it's still this. Whatever you do, put it into realizing that this is the Lord's day. I'm concentrating on Him. Can I do other things? Well, actually, when do you worship God? You worship Him all week, first of all. You're in, entered into that rest. So, But the seventh day is a special day. Um, I think starting with work, if at all possible, in our time, it's got to be that way. Unless you um, work for the state, you have a five-day, Monday through Friday, and that's easy. But if you work anything out in retail, 
it's almost impossible to keep away from that. They're going to be open on Sunday. Or a hospital. Uh, a hospital. And there are needs that have to be met in, the, in that case. So I think one has to use their wisdom and their own conscience. We can't tell people. We can't make up our rules. Because if we start making our own rules, then we're not going to be any better than what I think the Pharisees would be. They started making their own rules. Well, because Jesus um, healed on the Sabbath. Right. Exactly. And uh, that's where it comes into can can we can we serve? I, if I had an opportunity where I could take a job versus and it would mean I would miss church, I wouldn't want that job. Matter of fact, I wouldn't want a job on Sunday at all. I would look and keep looking until I get. But there are some people I know have, that have been put in that pinch, and they were very godly people. They didn't like what they did, but they had to do it as long as they could. But at the same time, if you have a boss that you can work with on that, it's amazing how God can work through it too, and he can bless that. So I would never even put a rule on somebody and say, you cannot work on Sunday, but I can tell you what I think is a lot better if you can keep from it. First of all, you want to be at church, right? <coughs> Anything takes you from that, then you have to say, well, listen, I... your own conscience it's the word of god the holy spirit leading you uh as for sports i must say i'll watch a football game on sunday i better be consistent with what i, I will do <laughs> am i supporting uh you know those guys on on sunday well i know sandy koufax was a jew and i'm not so sure how much he stayed with that but i don't think he pitched on what would have been his Sabbath, or at least it would have for a while. That's going back to the 60s. And then there's chariots of fire. That's what I think of. Right, so yeah. Yeah. I, and that was his conscience, and that's what everybody salutes him for. That's what I think the whole movie was about. Mm-hmm. If you really see what, because he was a runner, and he gave up what he had trained for because it, it landed on Sunday to do. Would it have been wrong? Would God have zapped him for that? But he took a higher plane, and they make a whole movie about it. Now, there are other things that are in that, but um, I, knowing what that was about and what that was, and that what that meant to him, that's why that movie was made. Would you say that that's what it, that I was the main so. point? Well, we even did that with our son, and he played baseball. All of a sudden, on Sunday mornings, they were going to start having baseball games, and I go... I'm busy on Sunday mornings. I'm at church. Nobody else had ever said anything like that. And as soon as you sit there and said it, everybody else is going to go, yeah, that really doesn't work with us. Well, all of a sudden, you get a bunch of people that sit there and said, no, we aren't going to play makeup games on Sunday mornings. And not having it. And then all of a sudden, half the people in the room agreed that they did not want to be there on Sunday mornings. Well, okay, it's taken care of. Yeah. It's like sometimes you just got to stand up and sit there and say, that doesn't work for me. No, my place is on Sunday mornings at church. And like I said, they're saying, sometimes you're going to lose out. But other times you find that there's other people that they agree with that, you know, too, also. You kind of help hold that up. For yeah, if, it, if, it, if it's going to take your worship away that you have with God's people, then I, I think it is mm-hmm. really important to then make that stand. You know, I, I don't have an option on that. Or, like I say, some have 
been able to work through that. So I, I can't even draw a line there, but I can say, as for me, that's the way that I would. But who knows what what could happen that later on come down the road, and that's my own way of living. Well, I could still take the stand. I, I can say that too, but um, I, I can say that we don't. don't let it pass over by people. But like you say, you don't let it pass by by people. You stand up and say what you say. You know, Sunday morning, I want to be in church. Right. And you hold your ground is what you always do. And like I say, sometimes it might be every other Sunday or something like that too. But does it, does it mean that you can't go out for a drive? Does it mean that you can't go to the park? You can enjoy God's great creation that he's had you know it's a great day of seeing who do we really put into that whenever how about going and visiting people i think it's one of the greatest times of the week for me to be able to visit with god's people that to me is all a part of worship too that's what i i, I thrive on i think a lot of you do too you know it's just uh, could you play music on, on the, in that afternoon? Well, only if it's Christian music. Well, that's all I play anyway. But um, can, can I play a music on the radio? All of a sudden, you know, can I watch TV? Uh, here's, here's what it is. Make the best of that day and realize everything that God has given us is part of our lives and something we can worship Him with. And I think there's a great deal of freedom in it rather than a bondage um, but like I say, there is a part of the church that says, no, you go home and you, you, you read scripture, and I can't think of anything better than that, and talk with your family and deal with that. Well, I cannot condemn that. Matter of fact, that's a great thing to do. But I don't want to go around saying that somebody can't do other things too. Um, because that in itself is not in scripture either. I see where scripture can condemn that view too, in a legalistic way. So, don't want to be... Um, too much freedom at the same time, too much legalism. This lawful oaths and vows, I can continue it on. Don't have enough time. We're done here. I didn't want to spend more than a couple minutes. I'll probably touch on it next week. Um, a lot of these uh, we're going to be getting into from here to the end. A lot of things I don't want to spend really necessarily a lot of time on. So we're going to be moving through this confession a lot more quicker. Um, I hate to lose a lot of things, but I thought worship was really good to deal with um, tonight. It's, of course, that's one of my favorite topics. So, the vows, they kind of go with this too because it's, it was kind of dealing with oaths, vows, and kind of putting that in with worship. But we will stop. When you get into talking about the Sabbath, you have all sorts of uh, uh, discussion, agreements and disagreements, and... Um, same time, it's good to know that uh, we have the Word of God, and we want to do everything pertaining to that as much as we possibly can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us insight, a little bit more gaining ideas of what, not only ideas, but the, your truth about what worship is, and that we would learn further about how to worship you, more honoring to you, more glorifying to you. So, Lord, we um, look to you in that. Show us how we can improve our worship. We should be reforming that constantly, individually and congregationally, every week until you come back. Thank you for this evening, and thank you for your people that you brought here. I give you all glory. Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.